Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Center for Christian Music Studies at Baylor University. This podcast was recorded at the annual Alleluia Church Music Conference. In this session, entitled Nurturing the Soul of the Church Musician, Section 1, Dr. Terry York reminds us that it is important to remember that church music is more about people than it is about music. To learn more about the Alleluia Conference, visit us online at www.baylor.edu slash alleluia. are in a circle for a reason. It's because I really don't want this to be a lecture. I mean, I have notes, and if you all just sit there and stare at me, I'll do something that says to the tape recorder I was prepared. But what I'd really like to do is to get discussion going um, for a number of reasons. Um, one has to do with church music ministry being in kind of state of flux. Um, and the other has to do with um, the environment in which our volunteer church musicians find themselves these days. Um, I'm 60 years old, and when I got started in music ministry uh, in college, uh, I think it was a, I know, it was a different atmosphere. It was a different uh, environment both what was expected, that you might say the definition of church music, the role of a choir, um, and the uh, lifestyle of the choir members and accompanists and instrumentalists of all kinds. And, and that's changing, has changed and continues to change. So um, one of the reasons that I'm have agreed and looking forward to being with you in this session and I hope in the next two is to learn as much as to teach and to facilitate discussion. What I will do in each um, of our sessions is to to make some very short and very simple statements and then throw some questions out that I hope will be questions that engender discussion and let us learn from you. Um, Teachers soon dry up if they fail to be learners. And there are several ways a teacher can learn. One of those ways a teacher can learn is by listening to others, listening to students, and in this case, listening to other practitioners what's happening in your situation is some of you heard uh, got back recently from Singapore my responsibility in Singapore this time is to do a two-week seminar called uh, Christian worship and its surrounding culture well I wanted to go to Singapore and learn about worship and culture not go over there and teach it it seemed uh, kind of backwards for me to be doing that so what I did so I went over we talked about um, how Christian worship bounced up against or uh, bounced into and uh, bumped into uh, its surrounding culture in the New Testament. And then I talked a little bit about Christian worship and its surrounding culture in the Western world. And then I hushed and had the students talk to me based on that kind of pattern we'd set up. 
about how they see Christian worship bumping into the culture. And I learned about the Dragon Dance and about uh, Chinese New Year and about mooncake festivals and how much churches should be involved in this and how much they shouldn't. And it was a great learning experience. You don't have to travel to the other side of the globe for that method of teaching and learning to, to be valuable. And I think it can be valuable here. So we're going to be looking at several aspects of church music ministry. And I hope that you will share and be uh, a teacher as much as a student in this. I really am banking on it. That's the format of, the, of this particular session. So... Um, this, the opening statement, sort of, the opening statement for this session is this. It's important to remember that church music is more about people than it is about music. It's important to remember that church music is more about people than it is about music. Now, I have to be careful when I say that in a university setting. In a university setting, if I'm teaching a course in music, in church music, worship, uh, that's an academic setting, and it's a little scary to say in that situation, church music uh, is more about people than it is about music, because that sounds like license to be a lesser musician. It sounds like license to be sloppy, and it is not that at all. We understand in a, a conference like Alleluia that's here because of ministry, it is important to remember that church music is more about people than it is about music. We say, yes, of course. But I would like to challenge you with the possibility that even church musicians forget about that. In the pressure of rehearsal and income Sunday and the church calendar, even if all you pay attention to on the church calendar is Christmas and Easter. Those things seem to come around like once a month. And uh, we can forget that church music ministry is more about people than it is about music. So, uh, let me start with this statement and then I want you to respond and get some discussion going. I'm sitting near uh, some markers so that I can maybe pop up once in a while and put some points on the board. But let's see if we can get dialogue going here that will be helpful to all of us. Somewhere along the line, we came to the conclusion that church music ministry is about producing something. We came to the idea that church music ministry is about producing something, maybe a seasonal pageant or a weekly worship production. In fact, I've even heard ministers of music, I'm going to use minister of music to be the term for that person whose responsibility it is to plan and oversee the music life of a church. Okay, I'll just use that term minister of music in shorthand for that. Um, I have heard and seen more than once the term for that person to be worship producer. I've seen it, capital W. Capital P, Worship Producer. And I've done some thinking and some writing, I won't bore you with that in here, about the significance of the titles of this person who's responsible for a congregation's music. And there's some strange ones out there. Worship Producer, Celebration Pastor, um, Minister of Magnification. 
Yeah. I don't, you don't have to make them up. They're goofy enough all by themselves. But I'm, that's why I use Minister of Music, and we'll talk more about that uh, here in just a moment. But somewhere along the line, we get this idea that church music ministry is about producing something, whether it be a pageant or, say, a weekly worship production. Church music ministry is not about a product, I would say. It is about a process. Church music ministry is not about a product. It's about a process, a process that enriches persons along the way. There's some familiar faces in here from my classes, so forgive me if you could stand up here and do this instead of me. You've seen enough time. <clears throat> the American Success Syndrome says that we should get in any kind of responsibility we have, we should get from point A to point B as quickly and efficiently and inexpensively as possible makes sense. Save time, save money, save energy. But I think church music ministry is more like this and should be more like this. You still have to get to be. It's not an excuse not to get the Christmas music together not an excuse for not having any plans ready for Sunday. But it's not about this. This is what maybe a worship producer would do. Producer of anything. When you are, your responsibility is to produce. You have a certain amount of resource and you have a target or a production uh, quota and you are to get there as straight a line as you can. And we can get this kind of an idea, if we're not careful, about church music ministry. Wednesday is coming, Sunday's coming, Christmas comes, and Easter comes. All those other things come, and we're running out of time. We don't have all that much money, especially in today's economy. Um, all the reasons why we just get it done. But we are getting it done for Jesus, and Maybe that'll make it all okay. But the model for leadership and the model for ministry that Jesus gives us is one of dragging the disciples along, training people as you go. Sometimes they get it. Ah, it's wonderful. And then sometimes they don't. And it just takes forever. And you just... There's so much you could get done. But that's our model for music ministry, is to bring the people along. Back when choirs of 40 and 50 people turned into praise tunes of 6 or 8, I heard all kinds of things about pulling people out of the choir who are able to do this new kind of music and its rhythms and its intricate harmonies. But I also heard, why mess with 40 people and all of their folders and how long it takes them to get the music together when you can get eight who can sing anything? Folks, I'm not making that up. I heard it. I heard it from fellow ministers of music where when I was in Nashville 
traveling around from Baptist and would go from one church to another or from one state to another and would hear how they had finally, the light had dawned on them, it's a whole lot easier to work with these folks than it is to work with these. Yes? So what you're saying then, that attitude is what you're putting on is more important than the people doing it. Yes. Yes, the, the product turns out to be more important to you than the process. And you, I really don't think any of them intended that. But it is the pressures of music ministry, and whether you're full-time, part-time, volunteer, big church, middle-sized church, small church, the pressures of music ministry can just make this look more and more inefficient. Sometimes even it seems more and more impossible because of what be, that is the target, what we're trying to produce, what we're trying to get, what it demands of us. And we never think about changing this. We only think about, that is, what it is we're trying to accomplish. We only think about how, if this doesn't work, how can we move from here to here, from the curvy, wavy line of bringing people along and ministering to them to getting just getting it done and we can find all kinds of ways to make that seem right in some cases less talented people have been dismissed from participation so that the more talented persons could produce a better final product and maybe more easily so now I'm not saying that's the only reason that choirs became praise teams a lot of ministers of music a lot of places had choirs and praise teams but in some instances I know this is what was going on because the ministers of music confessed it now it's true that there's some music done by the praise teams that cannot be done by 40 voice choirs uh, we learned that when we ran into the phenomenon of the Christian artist, the singer. And Sandy Patty, for instance, would sing some magnificent solo. And somebody would set that for SATB and give it to 40 people. And they couldn't figure out why they couldn't sing like Sandy Patty. Well, they couldn't. But eight people could come closer. So what I'm getting at, and I'm just using that as an example, I'm really not coming down on praise teams. What's the motivation for it? And it's not just about who's on the platform, a choir or a praise team. This has to do with music ministry in general. I've seen this same thing happen in the context of children's choir ministry. Why mess with curriculum and having to get so many teachers when you can do a musical sounds clever, looks cute and a handful of people can put it together now this is about nurturing the soul of the church musician and the, that's what our conference is going to be about nurturing the soul of the church musician and where I want to start with this is getting rid of Moving 40 church musicians down to 8 church musicians is not nurturing their soul. If we are called into music ministry, then we should have a concern for 
these church musicians and want, as a church wants to grow, so too should a church music ministry want to grow to bring more people into the opportunity to share the talent God has given them and to express their devotion to God through this talent, through uh, their desire to be a part of, of worship leadership and to be reaching people. So this might seem a strange place to start, but I think it is exactly the right beginning place. Nurturing the soul of the church musician doesn't begin with seeing if we can pare this down to fewer people to have to work with. It begins with how can we bring more people into the context of this ministry arena called church music? In too many cases, church music ministry has been reduced to Sunday morning and the involvement of the people has been combined to the production of worship with an occasional seasonal thing popped in there. Now, this is the first kind of discussion starter that I want to put out there. Um, and let's kick it around a little bit. You do not have to agree. By the way, you're at Truett Seminary. You're at Alleluia Conference and you're in the building of Truett Seminary. You're at Baylor University. You can push back. You do not have to agree with this. And, and what I want us to do is to start to look at it. How does this, how does this work out in your congregation, in your ministry? Have you found some ways to reverse this or to stay in touch with the ministry aspect of your work when production is so demanding? Maybe that's the best way to kind of boil this down into a question that we can actually deal with. <clears throat> Have you found a way to keep the process, which is ministering to the people along the way, high priority while still attaining the necessary end product. What kinds of things have you run into? What problems or how have you overcome it? How do you maintain a sense of ministering to the people who are the musicians and not just serving the final product? I just returned yesterday from a youth choir trip to Washington, D.C. a long 10 days from Orange, Texas. And this year we had really four or five singers who could sing. Fortunately, they were soprano, alpha, tenor, bass, and one other part. And so I gave them all a microphone, but they were in the choir, in the whole choir. And we had one micro, two microphones that mic the entire choir. And we were able to get the strong voice coming through to supply the sound we needed, but no one was left out of the, uh, the process and the musical preparation throughout the several weeks that we were preparing. And, uh, and so that enabled everyone to be a part rather than just excluding those four didn't come up to the front and stand up there in front and do their own thing. Uh, you know, it made it seem like a pseudo praise team in one sense, but it was a way that we could still have a tour and have everybody participate. Uh, in this case, it boiled down to the fact that uh, some needed some to hear someone singing to stay. You know, the seconds needed someone uh, singing their part to really be where they needed to be. And towards the end of the trip, as we were singing this musical 11 times, uh, we didn't need as much of this. It seemed right. like they learned it more as they proceeded through the trip, but it was a way that we were could integrate and not have to uh, pull people out. Okay. Good. Thank you. Well, so comment on the process versus the product in this context of church music ministry. 
process and product. When you said that, it immediately brought me back to my undergraduate days. Um, I think a lot of times in church music, a lot of us come from a music performance or a music <coughs> education background in our undergraduate studies. Um, before I was called into ministry, I was actually um, in music therapy, and I still continue to practice that on the side. And that's the main difference between music therapy and music education, is that music therapists tend to focus on the process, whereas music educators tend to focus more on an end product. And um, I think the philosophies, the difference between those two fields have really helped me to embrace some of these concepts of process within and, and dealing with people. Do you agree that if we've got a process that has to be straightened out and just gets the job done, that maybe the way to deal with this and get it more into a ministry where we're spending time with the people and ministering to them may not so be so much we don't, fixed in the process. Maybe the fix has to do with this end product. What is it? that we are asking the people to do. Um, and sometimes you don't have total control of that. Sometimes you, the, the final product is dictated to you by pastor or by tradition or by your own um, musical goals. We know this in our, when our own calendar gets so full our own schedule, our own to-do list, that we hardly have time to sleep, let alone to eat. We're just running, 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 hoping to stay just ahead and, and get, it, get the things done for the day. We finally get to the place where we realize what we have to start doing a little bit is saying no instead of yes to commitments. That sometimes is where you have to begin in order to get life to slow down so that you can smell a few roses and, and uh, talk to a few people instead of just running past them is fewer commitments. Could it be that for us to begin really thinking about ministering to the church musician, nurturing the soul of the church musician, that we have to create time for that to happen and the way for us to create time for ministering to the soul of the church musician maybe is less final product commitments. Fewer final product commitments. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if this is a pushback necessarily, but I have found that uh, as you go to smaller groups, it actually allows you to do more of the ministry. An example would be, uh, you've got a choir that, you know, um, 30, 35, and then taken out of that, maybe 12 voices that challenge to a higher commitment. So they have an extra rehearsal uh, once a month, even extended rehearsal. We started studying a book together. That's the group that I take out and do, uh, let's say, nursing home ministry, different things like that. And it's in, the, in those contexts that you can um, give them some challenges, like, hey, share your testimony. Could you come up and pray with this person? Uh, you get to know each other. It becomes a small group. In, in many cases, and not that a choir could not do that, but I have found that that smaller group allows me to get not only a um, more of a ministry process, but also 
I can say, hey, I've taken you out, and here's harder music, and they've got to put more time and effort into it, and the product's actually better than if it's a larger group. Okay. The philosophy of my choir is our first, our first objective is to be a praise for the glory of God. And in order to do that, we must do the very best we can every time we sing. The second objective is to be a support system for each other. And we have a very, we have about 35 in the choir, and we are a very, very close-knit group. I mean, anytime anyone needs anything, they're all there. We have an 815 service and 11, and I don't know if you all, about your choir this summer, but man, we've been really low on attendance this summer. And at 8.15, it's most of the people who sing at 8.15 stay and sing again at 11 o'clock. So it's really, you know, they're double dipping. And we don't have rehearsal time for two different choirs. So we get there on Sunday morning at 8.15, and I have one baritone, and he doesn't exactly match the pitch all the time, you know. So, you know, I used to just really, when I first started church music, I would just really just go off the deep end. Oh my gosh, what a, and now it's like, ladies, we're going to sing in unison with him. You adjust and modify in order to keep your choir members feeling good about what they're doing and feeling like that every time that they've done something, it's been to the glory of God, for the glory of God. And so I look, as I play the music, I look ahead if we're doing uh, one of Joseph, Joseph Martin's that's going to modulate seven times and, you know, uh, change rhythms five times. Uh, I plan less uh, difficult music leading up to that, so that it try. I try to keep the choir in a non-stressed and myself, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as relaxed as we can be. And I think that's one thing with the up and down like this. You have different points of difficulty in your music, but you you know you pull out those little two and three part numbers from time to time, and they're wonderful too. Yeah, and you can do that in pacing the rehearsal. Um, rehearsal can be paced by difficult and less difficult music. It can also be paced by how you work on particular pieces within even a difficult piece of music. Um, so yeah, this pacing of rehearsal is beginning to cons you know, you show concern for the singer. Um, and that's, that's part of the nurturing of the soul. If they're in a lifestyle that has them running, 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 then rehearsal doesn't need to add to that. Somehow the rehearsal can push back. And if you do against that kind of a lifestyle, if you do the right kind of planning, you can pace the rehearsal so that there is downtime. And then at the end of the, I mean, by downtime, I mean less intense. Intense, less intense, intense, less intense. And when the rehearsal is over, the people are smiling. They're talking about, I was tired when I came, but I feel good now. And you still have wonderful music to, to use in praising the Lord on Sundays or whatever your commitment is. So it has to do with us working a little bit harder so that there is this kind of pacing and nurturing the soul. Um, one of the most... Um, one of the biggest epiphanies I ever had as a minister, minister of music and working with volunteers uh, is when I moved from sitting on the platform 
sort of looking sternly at choir members out in the pews that should be up in the choir loft. (laughs) And sending them nice little friendly reminders and cards. Oh, it was great to see you Sunday. Sorry that I saw you in front of me instead of behind me. But all these neat little things. Moving from that to this. If this has been a very tough day for you, if today, Wednesday, has been tough for you, toothaches, flat tires, sick kids, running from here and running from there, something's got to give. Stay home from choir rehearsal with my blessing. Mm -hmm. Take your shoes off. Say, thank you, Lord, and thank you, Terry. Thank you, Lord, for the left one. Thank you, Terry, for the right one as you take them off. And stay home with my blessing and relax. Read, sleep. You know, choir attendance started growing when I went from guilt-oriented to this is a place of ministry, to be ministered to and to minister to each other. Choir started growing. So, man, that sounds risky. You don't know my people. You tell them they don't have to come and I'll be doing a solo every Sunday morning. No, I don't think so. That's not the solution to all of this. But it's part of an environment that you create. Is this a high-pressure cooker environment? Or is it an environment in which the soul is nurtured and the person is respected? And you realize there is such a thing as pacing. And if they don't have it anywhere else in their life, they're going to get it under your ministry, being a part of church music in your congregation. The rehearsal situation, it's, it's... I don't think we always know how we minister to the people that we're working with. Um, we had a really, really busy this year. This year, we worked from August till December on the Christmas cantata. Immediately after, started on Holy Week, and came May, and I felt like everybody was so tired. So in May, we rehearsed music for May and June, and then in June, I told we would not have rehearsals. Just come in on Sunday morning. I had several people email me complaining because we weren't rehearsing. And that one woman in particular said, Wednesday night is another night of worship. And I miss that. And I wanted to do that. And that was not what I expected the reaction yeah. to be. Yeah. Well, I think when we're doing it right, um, and when the music is toward the ministry of the church, and um, when our heart is more for the people than it is for the music, again, it's not to slack off, but that creates an environment that lets the people know that, that they're important and that this is a place of ministry and they will want to come. And to shut that down and take it away from them is, is something that um, is of, of great concern to them. Um, and this is, this is the beginning. This is our first discussion in the first session. We're, we'll go deeper and broader with this whole idea of nurturing the soul of the, the church musician but um, somehow or other we have to back away from production as our intense focus and give process at least equal amount of time because this is where we touch the lives and the hearts of the people well I've got people in my, in my choir in the, in the ministry that are very product driven and in a positive way though I think I think that that 
the, the process that they have of getting to that product is the joy for them. And when they come to rehearsal, they want the challenge. They want the, they want the hard stuff so that when we get to that place, the process, there's, there's joy in the toughness of the process. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. But I don't think we, we want them walking away saying, oh, that hurts so good. <laughs> uh, you know, yes, do the tough music, but if we're doing the hard work of good rehearsal planning, then the tough music is there for that bit of satisfaction. We did it. And we have healthy, happy people that have been ministered to along the way. I don't think it's one or the other. And it's up to us to work hard enough to make sure that both are happening. And good, solid music. Choir. You probably have a choir of accomplished singers or musicians. I mean, most of mine don't read music. Absolutely. So it's a lot of rote. And, and, uh, but then I've got, you know, band directors and music teachers in the choir, too. So it's varied, but you don't want to be stressed. Well, let's, let me look at it and put another one out here, another little not scenario, but some thoughts. It is easy to move from using music for ministry to people to using people to accomplish musical goals. Yet the quality of performance must be considered. So we, nothing that we're talking about is license for sloppy music. Nothing we're talking about is license for ill-prepared presentations of any sort in any place. So maybe we have to, again, adjust B rather than adjusting the line. But none of this is, is license. Stated another way, our ministry of leading people toward the perfection we know as Christ's likeness can morph into using people to move our music toward a perfection of its own. And this is not the frailty, by the way, of one worship style. Every worshiper musical style is susceptible. This isn't... Uh, coming down on any kind of contemporary praise team thing. I have seen, I have probably been guilty of taking a plain old regular SATB choir in a traditional setting and trying to prove to them and to God that I was Robert Shaw. <laughs> Using the choir. Using the choir for my own musical kicks. My own musical fix. I have been guilty of that. God and I have already talked about it. In some instances, choirs and I have already talked about it. As I've confessed that I was, I was putting it in the guise of giving the very best to have to Jesus, to God in worship. What was really going on was I was trying to prove to God or to myself or to some unknown audience what a wonderful musician I was. Again, nothing that we'll say in here is toward license for sloppiness. It's easy to, you, to move from using ministry to, to music to minister to people, to using people to minister to music, to serve music, to serve us as musicians. For how many musicians is Sunday simply being a minister of music is having a steady gig and a steady platform to show our musicianship. I think when our first goal is to allow Jesus to
to work in us and through us to minister to these people, that is not going to equal sloppy or poor music. That doesn't help the people. That doesn't help them spiritually or musically or personally or emotionally. What helps them is doing a very good job with music as, as a, just for the art, doing a very good job of music, giving the very best we can to God in praise and in worship and to make our time worthwhile. That's part of ministering to the, con- to the choir member. But that can be attained in the con- in the, still in the context of caring about their souls and their health and their well-being as much as we care about the eighth rest. Now, where do I, how do I know this stuff? From doing it wrong. From doing it wrong. It, the first time I remember realizing I was using the choir for my own personal, musical, professional thing, tell you, it was First Southern Baptist Church of Sacramento, California. She was an alto, set on the front row, right up here, of the choir loft. And I had brought a pianissimo down to where I actually had told the choir, I want it looking like you're singing, but don't, no sound coming out of your mouth. That's the issimo of the pianissimo. And in getting to that, there was this alto and her voice kind of broke on the way down because she didn't have the breath support to be singing that quietly and there was this little burst. And I gave her a look that I learned from a drill instructor when I was in the Marine Corps. (laughs) And the second I did it, my heart broke and I was convicted. And the service seemed to drag on forever and ever and ever because I wanted to get to her and apologize. But it just, the service kept going on and on and on. I knew she was sitting there dying a thousand deaths and so was I. It's the longest service in my whole life. And when the service was over, I tried to get to her. She made a hasty escape. I tried calling, she didn't answer the phone. Finally, finally got to her and apologized. And she said, I'm not sure I'm coming back to choir. And I said, if I was you, I don't think I would come back to choir. But can you please hear my apology? She finally did come back to choir. Um, but I'll never forget it. And it's because she messed up a move toward a decrescendo toward pianissimo that was a gimmick in and of itself. It was a gimmick. And she messed up my gimmick. And I sorely damaged my um, ministry relationship. Never, ever, ever forget it. I can see your face right now the moment I did that. Um, I have blessed the choir before with bonus rehearsals as we neared Christmas or Easter. Who do I think I'm kidding? Now, it, it, there are times when we need an extra rehearsal, but let's call it that. It's an extra rehearsal, not a bonus. 
<laughs> and let's hold it to a minimum or else make it an event that is a happy and wonderful thing not a panic ridden thing now when it shows up in your rehearsals and in what you're asking the choir to do that you care for them as a person more than just as a voice that opens up the possibility, or maybe it goes hand in hand with you being able to show up at the hospital room and it's believable. Or you cut a piece out of the paper that shows that their daughter just did her first violin solo at school and you sorry you couldn't make it but you saw this in the paper and thought it was wonderful and hope that it went well. Or maybe you do show up yeah, I just, oh, you're here for Sally's recital. Yeah, I came for Sally's recital. How did you know about that? Well, somebody told me that this was happening on her, and I thought I'd like to come here. And you are on their turf in things that matter to them, at times that matter to them, and that's opening up the door for you. It is a ministry in and of itself, and it opens up the door for ministry, and you see this person as not just a voice, but as a person with a life and you're there at the hospital by the side of the hospital bed you're there for the recital you're there and you don't have to go to all of them say well maybe you could do that in a church if you only have you know 100 members but our church we've got 9000 it's symbolic you show up at one hospital bed and 40 people know about it you show up at one recital 40 people know that you went to a recital and they know you can't get to all the hospital beds and all the recitals and all this and that, but they know that you're out there and you know that these things happen. And pretty soon then, you create an environment where they understand being invited by you to sing in the praise team or sing in the choir or play in the orchestra is inviting them into an, uh, an environment of ministry. They get to minister to other people and they will be ministered to in turn and it becomes a ministry organization. This is sort of the basic, the beginning of how we begin to set up the idea that we understand that church music is more about people than it is about music. Now, the music sometimes wins out as far as how am I going to handle the situation. Again, I apologize to my former students. Her name was Jeanette. And I've messed up you know, with tenors and basses, not treating them well, too, but we've seen Beatos and Soprano kinds of illustrations. She had one note. Now and then the choir joined her with that note. <laughs> but she was, of course, the most dedicated, and choir meant more to her than it meant to anybody else. Choir members started coming to me and said, have you heard Jeanette? And I wanted to say to them, no. What? <laughs> but I didn't. That's what I thought. But that's not what I said. I said, yes, I've heard Jeanette. And then this very disappointing thing. Either she goes or I go. So, well, give me some time. And I realize I have two projects now. One is Jeanette, and the other is a choir that would ever say that. So I go to Jeanette. And I don't go to her, I think about, what am I going to do with this? And not moving her anywhere and surrounding her with strong singers is not going to help. Done that. So in this particular case, 
I opened up my schedule to teach voice lessons. I knew she'd jump in. Sure enough, she was the first one to sign up. And there were some other people who wanted legit voice lessons, and she did too. Thankfully, not a ton of people showed up, because I really wasn't all that interested in giving voice lessons. I'm looking for a way to, to help Jeanette realize what other people already know. So she signed up. So here's how we had voice lessons with Jeanette. I say, Jeanette, listen to this note. Bong. You know, and I'd hit an E flat. And I said, would you sing that note? She sings a note and says, oh, it's a beautiful note, but it's not this one, it's this one. Let's see if you can sing this one. She tried again. So, oh, great, but you overshot it. You sang this one. Let's try it. And not just to beat her down, we do other kinds of things. But after a while, she started to realize, <coughs> I'm not doing this. In the meantime, I go see the Minister of Education. I said, Wayne, I need a job for Jeanette. I don't care what it is. It needs to be legit enough that we're not jerking her around here, but I need you to find something for Jeanette to do. I said, okay, and he came up with a couple things. I said, now will you go invite Jeanette to consider <coughs> He did. So Jeanette comes to me one day at one of our rehearsals, one of our voice lessons. I said, sing this note, Jeanette. <laughs> oh, you're so close. That's closer than you were six weeks ago. <laughs> it's just right there. She said, oh, I need to tell you something. Wayne has come to me and asked if I could work in such and such a Sunday school situation. And she said, I just don't know if I can do both of these. I said, we know, Jeanette, one of the neat things, uh, one of the signs of maturity is when you realize you can't do everything. And uh, I know that's an important job that Wayne has. This is important, but we've got 39 other people doing it. I don't think he's got that many people lined up for that job. She said, well, I think I'm going to go and do that with this. Okay, I, I think that's a good idea. So she leaves the choir. Sorry, I have to go, all that. She's working with Wayne in the, in the music ministry, in the education ministry. Now I begin my next job, and that is to help a choir see. That, you know, they're right. And the pastor said, what are you going to do about Jeanette? And I said, Glenn, can you give me three or four weeks? And he said, yeah. Because he was hearing it. He's not even a musician. We have a responsibility for what that choir or that praise team sounds like. That never goes away. We can fire Jeanette. Say, well, that's just one person crying. 39 others are still with me and happy. Or we can get the pastor to back off for just a minute and get Wayne to come in with some Sunday school things that might be done and give voice lessons to Jeanette. We'd end up both times with excellent music in our worship. A choir that's learning how to minister to each other. And Jeanette, who's happy as a lark, who quit coming to voice lessons, by the way, who's happy as a lark, doing good things. This, I'm not ever saying this decreases in importance. I am saying we are called to this wavy line. And it's how we nurture the soul. So now I see, I've been careful for Jeanette. Now I'm only going to tell you most of the time the good times, the success stories. Or I'd already confessed one with the outcome. When we get to the point 
that Jeanette doesn't matter to us. Or, yeah, I gave that glance to the alto, but she deserved it. We went over that and over that. When we get to the point that we think like that because of the final product, I think it's time for us to back off and say something's got to give here. And it's not going to be ministry that gives. It's not going to be the quality of what we do on Sunday. It is going to be how I approach preparing this and how I view the choir members. And this may mean that when the pastor comes or when someone else in the church comes and say, hey, can we have the choir do such and such? Three weeks from now, we say, no. You can't. Because we are already up to here in commitments and things that we're working on. No. Is there, isn't there some other way we can handle that? Something else we can do? Because I'm already working the people to the, to the maximum. Nurturing the soul of the, of the in, church music, of the church musician. Church music being a place of ministry, not a place of simple production. And we can baptize that production in all kinds of churchy words. But I don't think anything we do for Jesus that has us stomp on the people for whom he died on the way can be baptized enough to make it right. find other ways. Number three. Third thing for us to think about here. We've got just a few more minutes. When we abandoned the title Minister of Music, we put pastoral ministry at risk. Not because styles changed. But the title was a constant reminder that music was about ministry. The minister of music. So I said I've heard all kinds of titles. Really some very telling ones. Being the best guitar player in town or the best organist in town does not draw you to the hospital bedside or prepare you for marital counseling. If within your tradition this is possible, in some Christian traditions it's not, but if within your tradition this is possible for the minister of music to be ordained and to be asked to do a wedding or a funeral, now you realize you're cooking. You've got music ministry going on here. If within your tradition that person is not going to necessarily be ordained. There still is this minister of music, is this church musician that's in charge of me, are they ever asked about even low-level spiritual counseling? It's one of the gauges. Do the people see that the, the church music you're involved in is a place of ministry? Well, there are ways to find that out. Do they see you as a minister? Do they seek you out as a minister? You don't have to be ordained for that to happen. You don't have to be male for that to happen. 
Are you sought out as a minister? This will give you a gauge of how do the people see the music program that you're running. And how do they see you? You may be the best organist choir master in town or the best guitarist in town, and therefore that's where you are on Sunday is at this church, leading the praise team or leading the choir. Either way, style doesn't matter. We lose something very precious and very important in the life and the work of the church when all we have is the best musician up there and not a minister. Why are we willing to make this trade-off? Why are we willing to simply have the best musician running things rather than asking for music ministry? The reason we're willing to make that trade-off is because this has got out of whack. B has become too big to us. It has become almost what we worship, not how we worship. And we're willing to trade this off to have a bigger, brighter B. And we're not going to do much ministering nourishing the soul of the church musician when we are simply a benevolent musical dictator. When we see them as a voice and not a person. Now I, I'm telling you, I believe you can do excellent music and excellent performance and still get there this route. No, you can't. It's not a guess. But it has to do with what this actually is and how you prepare for this, through this. And you can work the people hard, and they will, they will, nobody wants to come and let the choir director or the praise team leader waste their time. Nobody wants to do that. You want to come and know that when you show up for that hour or that hour and a half rehearsal, the person in charge is ready. And you're working the music properly and you're effectively and efficiently getting things, notes right, getting things ironed out. That's what people want to come to. But you don't have to be a dictator to do that. You can do that and love the people. You can do that and nourish their souls. It's not one or the other. And if somehow or other you come to that conclusion back off enough to think about it that it is possible to take this route and for it to be every bit as good musically as this route. Anybody want to push back on that one? Or what you been thinking? We've got a few minutes here. Can I ask a question? Mm -hmm. What do you do if, if you if you You've committed to the bottom route, and you say, you know, and, and I believe that I can get to be just as good with, with the squiggly line. But, you know, in the process of going that way, you're going up and down, and sometimes you lose sight of B, and you don't, you don't feel like you're ever going to get there. Or maybe other people don't think you're going to get there. But mainly you yourself, you feel like you should be at B, but you're not. Uh, how do you... How do you deal with that? I would probably, um, Austin, I would probably 
take a look at my rehearsal techniques. I would take a look at the, re, um, the reality of this beat. I mean, was it a realistic beat to begin with? Uh, so I'd look at how realistic is this and how efficient and are my rehearsals in getting work done when we work and in pacing that rehearsal um, Anyone else want to help them with this? I think there are times when you've been doing this route and you realize, oh man, we've only got three rehearsals left. And you're doing this and you go, <laughs> but the choir or the praise team is probably going to be ready for that. They're as concerned about it being a good product as you are. And I think you can go along this route and they know that's your heart. They also know we've got to work pretty hard these last three rehearsals, and they're willing to do so. So I think they can cut you some slack. I think for me, uh, uh, maybe I should, for you know, as far as getting things ready musically or the Christmas musical, it's not so much that it's it's I have long-term goals. I think that that don't I don't feel like we're getting there fast enough. I don't know if we're ever going to get there. You can't see the steps that you're making if you are making Okay, them. so this isn't this you know, coming this, Sunday. This is, this is not this Sunday. This is not this Sunday. Christmas musical. It's, it's where you'd like to be five years from now. of the choir. Yeah. Know, musically and, okay. and if, even ministry. That, that it's not... Okay, that changes for me. If this yeah. is not Sunday or Christmas, given where we stand right now in July, yeah. if that's not this coming Sunday or this coming Christmas, that's five years from now, ten years from now. Oh, that's a whole other thing. You may need to adjust this. What's the hurry? And does it really matter if this is attained seven years from now instead of five years from now? And things do change. I think it's, it's, it's quite common to start out with a particular goal, and before you get there, you realize that needs to be adjusted. That's why churches do five-year planning, strategic planning, every three years. Now, the math doesn't work on that. Why do you do five-year strategic planning every three years? Three plus two plus five. There's two somethings falling out of that formula. Well, here's the deal. Things change. Situations change. Opportunities change. Resources change. That's why you do five-year planning every three years, is because there are changes in the resources and the opportunities. So I would say not so much, Austin, would I look to see when I went to that church, I had this five-year or this seven-year plan, and I'm not sure we're going to get there. I'd say about three years into it, back off and look, where have we come since A? Let that be your gauge. What have we accomplished? What have we accomplished? You know, we, it's the same thing happens, and I know it's time to go. The same thing happens as those of us who are in charge of Alleluia. Here we think, oh, man, we would really like to be doing this and this and this and have this for these folks and this opportunity and that opportunity. Oh, and we can get very discouraged unless we say, where was Alleluia eight years ago? Hey, it's, it's pretty sophisticated compared to where it was eight years ago. Now, it's not where it's going to be eight years from now. So I think one of them is the perspective. Instead of just focusing totally on that, look back once in a while and say, 
from whence have we come? And uh, look what has be done, been done. By the way, celebrate those things. Celebrate those things. There's no celebration for A to B. You know why? Because the minute you finish B, the minute you finish that Christmas cantata, Easter cantata is eating your lunch. No celebration. No joy. Along here, you finish the, the Christmas cantata, and whew, maybe somewhere around January 5 or 6, you say, hey, we did it. Or you find one of the pieces from the cantata that still works in Epiphany, if it does, and you sing it again and say, look at that. We really did a good job with that in Christmas and since then, and celebrate. Celebrating helps nurture the soul. But when you get done with one, and the first time you meet the choir again, you let them know how far behind you are on Easter. That's not nurturing the soul. See, it doesn't have to change much of the reality. It might be a change in the perspective that brings the bit of refreshing. be a crime for you to stay here so long that you had to you missed out on Dr. Pepper to learn more about the Alleluia Conference visit us online at www.baylor.edu slash Alleluia